Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 and onwards. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your word today, that your word would uh, come into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to your truth, that you would change us, that you would bring us your peace, uh, your conviction, and Father, whatever you need to do in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Further, my brothers and sisters, Paul starts, rejoice in the Lord, have joy in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you. It's like saying, you know I've given this message a hundred times before, you know you've heard me say this a hundred times before, which is true of today. Well, that that doesn't bother me because I know it's what you need. It's a safeguard for your soul. And what Paul's about to say, if you read all of his letters in the New Testament, you'll find it's there in all of them. And he doesn't mind repeating himself to everybody. Why do you think that is? Because it's the most important stuff you've got to know. Do you understand? The message that we proclaim uh, of, of the cross and of Christ, and of also uh, particularly today as uh, where you get righteousness from, is it from yourself or from Jesus? is a message the church needs to hear again and again. Why do we know that? Because it's what the Old Testament, sorry, the New Testament and the Old Testament really is full of. And um, if we get told, as we sometimes do, where you keep repeating yourself, you keep saying the same stuff, that's because we kind of preach from Scripture, which says the same stuff. And by the way, I'd have to say it's no trouble for me to say this again doesn't bother me okay that's very this will be a safeguard for you it'll keep you safe how long forever that's why we don't mind repeating it 
this is uh, an eternal message. And uh, he needs to tell the Christians in Philippi that watch out for those dogs, scavengers sort of thing, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Sounds like he's talking about some really, really bad people. That's right. Dogs. Who do you call dogs? Evildoers. Mutilators of the flesh. Actually, Paul's not talking about a group outside the church. He's not talking about the evil people who live down the road from you or, or you hear about on the news. He's talking about a group within the church who believed that they could be good themselves. Wow, that sounds really evil, doesn't it? They believed they could gain God's acceptance by being good people and particularly by obeying the Jewish law, the Old Testament. Particularly one part of that was circumcision. That's why he said mutilators of the flesh. Because if you believe that you're by cutting your flesh in some way that that made you righteous, then you are actually mutilating the word of God, really. There are always Jews who are coming to bring, and, and what they would say in the church is, yes, yes, there's Jesus, he's important, but there's some more you need to do. There's some more you need to add. You need to fill up your righteousness. You need to finish the righteousness on your own. And uh, so to be saved and holy and justified, the word justified means righteous before God. Yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need these laws. So he calls these people dogs, evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. And they are actually people who are trying really hard to get right with God on their own without trusting in Jesus. That's who these people were. Now, if we said to Christians today, and, and often if you listen to the conversation of Christians, uh, what is the biggest threat to Christians in the church today? Just say you're sitting around the table and you ask that question. What you might hear is something like the immorality that's in Australia. That sort of thing. Uh, sexual looseness that's come in and new laws which allow for sexual looseness and blah, 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 and governments. And also there's all these addictions in our society and there's youth crime. Probably hardly anyone is going to say, you know what the problem is with a big threat to the church? People are trying really hard to be good. That's not what's going to be said. Do you agree or am I making that up? And yet the thing that Paul constantly addresses is a very, very serious threat. Trying to be good without trusting in the gift of righteousness that Jesus gives. If you, it's not stretching the point, I think, because if you look at people that Jesus got most upset with, or if we say upset, that's toning it down. Who did Jesus get most angry with that he faced? Was it the prostitutes or the tax collectors? It was the Pharisees. It was those who believed that their righteousness was right with God because their actions and their behaviour made them right. And so those were the ones who rejected Jesus. Did the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors uh, reject Jesus? No. They knew that they needed him. So this is, it's a destructive thought because it leads many astray, particularly within the church, because they spend their lives 
trying to do what they think is right and then because it's what they think is right, also they become proud, they become self-made, self-righteous, self-justified people. And those people, in, 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 I'm talking in Australia today, are very quick to say Jesus had very good moral teaching because they believe that they have the ability to obey Jesus on their own. So they'll say, we love the Sermon on the Mount because it's very practical. It gives us teaching for life that we can obey. If you go home and read the Sermon on the Mount honestly, that's Matthew chapter 5 to 7, if you can honestly at the end of the say, I have a, any chance whatsoever of obeying that, you're full of yourself. You read the Sermon on the Mount and what you realise at the end of it is, there is no way that I can obey this. Because he goes so far, Jesus, as to say, it's not just your actions, even your thoughts, if you just think about it. But you see, uh, people who say that, we like Jesus' moral teaching, but we reject the punishment and death of Christ, are really saying, I can make it on my own without his saving. And that puts them in a really dangerous place because they reject the salvation because they reject their need for salvation. In fact, they believe they don't need saving. It's good to be a sinner because a sinner knows we need Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to be saved. So Paul says in verse 3, For it is we who are the circumcision." who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in our flesh. We put no confidence in our fleshly ability. We don't put any confidence in any ritual of the flesh, like circumcision. We are the true circumcision. It's not kind of the Christian T-shirt you're going to buy at the Kuron, probably. We are the true circumcision. But, but what it's saying is, we are the ones who are righteous, we're the ones who, are, he says, who have obeyed the Spirit of God. And how do we do that? By trusting in Jesus. That's how you made yourself right. And we put no confidence in ourselves. I don't put any confidence in myself that any part of my salvation is brought by me. Now, it's not a new thought to talk about circumcision like this because in, uh, this is just one passage, in Jeremiah 9, verse 25, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. And he goes on to say, All of the house of Israel currently in that time are uncircumcised in heart. In other words, there's an outward thing you can do, but if it doesn't reflect an inward change that God's brought, what's the point of it? Do you understand? What's the point of an outward sign without an inward change. What's the point of wearing a cross around your neck if you're not a Christian? Does it bring you good luck? Does it save you? Does it do anything whatsoever? You can get a tattoo of a cross. You can get a tattoo that says, Jesus loves me. It's an outward sign. Do you understand? What's the point of an unbeliever being baptised? Does it make them any closer to God? No, it actually puts them in a dangerous situation where they believe that they've got what they need. Can you see that? So they don't trust in Jesus. They think they have it already. 
What is the point of going to church? Now, it's good to go to church to hear the gospel. But what's the point of going to church if you believe that that's what actually saves you? You're just doing a religious thing. Can you understand what, what Jeremiah is saying there? God looks at the heart. We, I, I've often talked about uh, someone in our church, in our previous church, who had served God all his life. He was in his 70s. He'd been an elder, a church councillor, a property committee. He'd been on everything, right? And what he did one day when, when I was preaching on Titus 3 is he, he heard the bit about being born again and he kind of got born again after doing all that stuff all those years. And one thing that marked his ways before that before he believed, was he was angry. Why was he angry? Well, here am I doing all this work for God and have a look at... They could be pulling their weight a bit more. They should be doing more. And what's more, look at their behaviour and look at me. I'm doing all this right for God and and they're doing nothing. So I'm going to get angry. And he would berate the church from the front of the church about all their problems. Later, he actually became a servant for the church. Interesting, hey? What's the point of the outward religious action if there's no heart behind it? What's the point of circumcision without being circumcised of heart? I'll answer it. No, no point. No point at all. What's the point of taking communion if you don't trust in Jesus for your forgiveness? It's just a vain hope that a little bit of wine and a little bit of bread is somehow going to make you right with God. That's not going to happen. Do you understand? You need something bigger than that. What I'm saying is only Christ can save, only his death can cleanse us and make us right with God, and no physical obedience or obedience to some law is actually going to make a difference to us. We need the change that only God can do through Jesus and that the Holy Spirit brings to you because, as you know, when the Holy Spirit comes to a person in, who's believed in Christ, he gives them a new heart. He gives them a new mind. Okay, so the big point you get here at the start is Paul is bringing up something which is incredibly dangerous, which the sinner on the street is not endangered by because they know they're a sinner. You know those people who say, well, I don't think I'm good enough to go to church or if I walk through the door, the walls will fall down. I mean, all that sort of thing. They're actually in a better place because they know where they are. It's easier for them to believe than the religious person. Okay. Verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, if it was based on what you do, Paul says, I am better than anybody I know. Okay? If it was about self-righteousness, I've got it all. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I nailed it. That's what he's saying. 
I was the perfect Jew. I circumcised on the eighth day. That's the day that you had to get circumcised. Not that he chose to do that. Like, he didn't do that. He didn't even remember that. But you understand, you know. But he knew his family tree. I am from Israel. Well, being born a Jew makes you better than anybody else. True. That's what he was thinking. He was, the Jews are more favoured by God. God's chosen people. That's what he Chosen for what? What was God's intention for Israel? That through them all people on earth will be blessed. So it wasn't about them. Do you understand? They were to be witnesses to proclaim God's glory to the world, not to keep it for themselves. And in the end, just as a, a side note, God's plan was fulfilled through Israel because from Israel came Jesus who brought the salvation to the world. And then upon those people came the Holy Spirit who took the gospel out to the world. It was fulfilled. But you see, it's not about a favourite race, a chosen race. If you think you're better than other people by your race, then you are fooling yourself and you're in a dangerous religious position. Now, that wouldn't happen to any of us because we would never have said or thought something like, Australia is a Christian nation. Well, it was to begin with. Oh, we do say that, don't we? What does that mean? So all Australians are more Christian than other nations, like those horrible people from another country. Is that what we're thinking? Well, some of the Constitution was based on some of God's moral law, like not murdering and not stealing and stuff like that. But I don't, I, I've never seen in the Constitution a thing that says Jesus is Lord or that salvation comes from him alone. You see, that's Christian. Not the moral law bit. Do you understand? In fact, the, the moral law, uh, Ezekiel 36 says, when you trust, when you receive the salvation that comes to you from God, when you receive the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will move you to obey that law. It's not that obeying the law will bring you to God, which is the problem that Paul faced with these Pharisees. They, they believe, or the Judaizers, they call them, these people within the church, who believe that if you start obeying laws, you're getting a little bit closer to God. And if you obey more laws, you're going to be a bit closer to God and eventually you're going to get there. And what he's saying is if you think that obeying laws is going to get you closer to God, you're actually going the wrong way. You're going away from him. There is nothing in race or where you were born that makes you more Christian. Does that make sense? If you believe that Australia is a Christian country because of moral law, you are a dog, an evildoer, and a mutilator of the flesh. That's what Paul's saying. That's strong words, just so you know. He also, not only was an Israelite, he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were people, and we know we hear a negative word when we, when we hear the word Pharisee, um, but in the time that Jesus lived, the Pharisees were looked up on up to because they were people who lived their whole lives trying to be very, very good, carefully obeying every law and just making sure they never went near disobeying any law, avoiding any possibility of disobeying. They were known as good people. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, um, your righteousness must exceed the Pharisees. And what the disciples heard was, well, that's not going to happen. 
How can you be that good? To get better than those guys who spend their whole time being good. And we know they spend the whole time being good because we see them, they do, they do their good, good bits publicly. They publicly give their money away and they publicly do this and publicly do that. They're always praying. How do you know that? Because you can always see them praying. They're always fasting because they always tell you they're fasting. You've got to be better than them. And it's like, we might as well give up. Which firstly means that the Pharisees aren't good enough. And secondly, it puts obedience and righteousness way out of reach. And then Jesus went on to say that the Pharisees were actually hypocrites. They were fakes. They were full of evil. You see, the trouble is if you try and try to be good, but you know your heart's wrong, you've got to hide it. That's what a hypocrite is. You're hiding the truth. You're not who you say you are. All you make known is the external righteous acts. So Paul was circumcised the right way. He was an Israelite. He was outwardly perfect. He was zealous. He was on fire persecuting the church. In other words, he, he was a crusader for the truth. I uphold the truth of God. And anybody who's wrong, like those Christians, I'm going to persecute them. And he sums all of this up with this statement. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. Pretty good, eh? If you haven't understand what a dog or an evildoer looks like, it looks like Paul before he became a Christian. But all that changed for Paul on the Damascus Road. He was on his way to persecute Christians and Jesus appeared to him. And then he realised he needed to be saved. But you know what? Jesus appeared to him when he hadn't done anything good on his own, didn't he? He saved him absolutely by grace. Like if you'd have looked around, just say you were a Christian in that day and you'd think, well, you know, Joe and Billy, they, should, they deserve to become Christians. They're quite good people. But Paul, no way. Look at him. He's the worst of the worst. Even when he became a Christian, you know, the other Christians were terrified to go to him because they thought they were going to be killed. That's how bad he was. And there he found out that he needed to be saved and that Jesus was the only one who could do it, that he needed to be crucified with Christ. And when he was crucified with Christ, all of his flesh was put away. All of his sinful nature was put to death and all that was left was Jesus. He actually realised at that moment, you see, all his self-righteousness was actually his problem. And that's why he writes so passionately about this. He knew how destructive self-righteousness was. And so in all his letters he writes so that they would not go down that path. And he warns them again and again. And he says, I'm not tired of warning them. And then he says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All those good things I did, I actually consider them a loss, a failure. What is more, I consider everything a loss. In other words, the rest of my life is nothing because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider everything a waste of time, in fact, worse when compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything in his life is... When you, it's like when you see that greater treasure... Everything else comes into focus. 
When you find that pearl of great price, you sell everything you own. You understand? That, that's what he's saying. There is only one thing in my life which is of riches beyond value. And that comes by trusting in him. And then when we trust in Jesus, we are pronounced perfectly righteous. Then we have everything, everything we could ever want because we know the Lord Jesus. See, the surpassing worth is of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To know him is where all of his riches have are. And if we lost everything else, he says, well, that's a small value because I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Garbage is a good word. What a load of garbage that is, eh? Yeah, you're a good person yourself? What a load of garbage. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what it's all about. Righteousness, it's, you know, I'm almost tempted to say, there's words up there, what is that, righteousness? Where are we? Verse, uh, verse 9. End of verse 9. That's what he wants most. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Christians need to have that in our head. The righteousness, right with God, justified, everything good, that comes where? From God. Doesn't come from us. The righteousness that comes... From God on the basis of what? Faith. Say it in your head. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Remember that. Remember it forever. Know it. Believe it. Base your whole life on it. Maybe the ESV says this. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. doesn't matter. It's all about depending on God through faith. And it comes from God. Live by this. By faith in Christ. Live trusting what he's done, not live trusting in yourself. Don't trust yourself. There's only one person that we can trust, Jesus. Not even ourselves. I remember people saying, well, don't you, don't you trust yourself? No, I don't trust myself. Face with, you give me two options. Outwardly, I'm probably always going to take the good one, but inwardly, I'm going to be going, I want that way. I don't trust myself at all. Yep. Sorry, I don't trust any of you either. But I trust Jesus. Because when you have all that this world can offer, all of its riches and pleasures, when you spend your whole life trying to be good, just imagine this person, there's plenty of them in the world, spend their whole life trying to be good and righteous and kind and loving and building their reputation and being respected and being honoured, but they don't trust in Jesus, then you are pitiable, poor, blind and wretched. What does Paul want? Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. That's my desire above everything else. I want to know the power of his resurrection. That's the resurrection 
uh, to, it is the resurrection of Christ in, in one sense in the future. But what he's saying is this. I don't want... Uh, I want a resurrection to faith in Christ. I want a resurrection to looking to him and a death of everything in this world. I want to die to the riches and the glory of this world and live to Christ. That's why Paul talks so much about how good it is to suffer. Don't you hate those things when Paul says it? He says it quite often, you know. It's really good to suffer because, you see, as you suffer, you see what the answer is in life. When you suffer, you realise that the things of this world are not the answer. Don't you? You put your hope in something, you put your hope in a, a Ford XR8 and then you suffer by rolling it. God strips it back out of the way. Do you understand? There's deeper things that cause us to suffer than that, of course. When we suffer, we realise that our hopes and dreams in this life are not the answer. It is Christ alone. And we are happy when we suffer because then we see the truth. They are all worthless compared to knowing him. And then we live towards him. Suffering strips back the things of this world which promise hope and suffering exposes the truth. This life is temporary. It's short. We are all going to die. Young or old, it will happen. And that takes away self-made glory. It's shown for what it is. By suffering. That's why Paul talks about suffering. So much. Because suffering causes us to die to ourselves. It causes the flesh to be stripped back. And then somehow, although it must be impossible, somehow I may attain to the resurrection. In other words, like the chances of, of, of sinners like us ever finding eternal life, somehow, would it be possible? Absolutely, through faith in Christ Jesus and no other way, we can gain eternal life a wonderful gift from God through Christ, who is our Lord, who is our Saviour, who is our everything. And it's no trouble for me to say these same things to you again because it is a safeguard for you now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for the reminder you've given us again through Paul. We know we hear this message uh, again and again and yet, you speak to us afresh by your spirit and we pray that you would make this real to us, that we would put aside those things in our lives that we believe makes us better or more righteous or more acceptable to you and that we would again fall back in faith in your son Jesus. And Father, that we would live lives, lives where we live by faith, completely in you. And Father, also I pray that you would give us a greater and deeper love for your son Jesus, that, as, uh, that he and knowing him and enjoying him would be the greatest and most wonderful desire of all of our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.